Well, good afternoon, Christ Fellowship Bible Church. It's a joy to be with you, joy to be up here. Uh, I am, have the task of preaching on family worship today, near and dear to my heart. But before I start, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll begin. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for family worship. And I pray that you would use a jar of clay, a weak jar of clay up here, to proclaim your message, to encourage your saints in the daily worship of you that you deserve. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, as goes the family, so goes the church, and thus goes the nation. If the family unit is strong, the church, which is the bride of Christ, is united, and the nation is blessed. So if we look at it the opposite way, if the nation is plummeting into sin, if they say, like Isaiah said, they they call evil good and good evil, Well, then the church must be weak and fractured, and the family is probably in shambles. Does that sound familiar to anyone here in the United States in 2022? Well, there's a principle called subsidiarity, and the principle of subsidiarity states that the smaller entity ought to be given priority before the community, and the community given priority before the state, and the state before the nation, and so on. So the greatest amount of impact and change begins at the smallest level of society. Hence, the importance of the smallest unit, which would be the family. In the church context, the congregation of the church consists of a number of families, and the spirituality of the individual of a family has a marked effect on the spirituality of the family. Then the spiritual family in turn has an impact on the congregation, of the church has significant effect on society and then the world and so on. You guys get the point here. So obviously there's a direct correlation between the family unit and the rest of society. One American pastor of old, he said this, he said, For one, I care little for the government which presides at Washington in comparison with the government which rules millions of American homes. No administration can seriously harm us if our home life is pure, frugal, and godly. No statesmanship or legislation can save us if our homes become the abode of ignorance or the nestling of reckless extravagance. The home rules the nation. If the home is demoralized, it will ruin it. So what does this mean for you and me? If we want to see change in our community, if we want to see change in the city of St. Louis, if we want to see change in this nation, it's not going to come from politics. It's not going to come from earthly treasures, it's going to start in the home. It will start with the resurgence of family worship. Spiritual education in the home is an investment not only in the spiritual welfare of our children, which is obviously very important, but also in the future and continued existence of the Christian faith in this country. God brings revival in the home when you and I establish as a priority a daily system to meet the spiritual needs of our families. And then God often uses the restoration of the family to worship in, usher in church revival. So George Whitfield said, We must forever despair of seeing the spirit of holiness revived in the world until we see a revival of genuine family religion or family worship and persons unanimously resolving with Joshua in the words of the text, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're going to look at that text in in more depth today. So you should have all gotten a handout out there. Um, Let me give you the outline for the handout today. So I tried my best to be a good preacher and give you a nice alliteration, four eyes. First, we're going to talk about instruction. What is family worship? 
Second, inspiration. Where is family worship found? Third, implementation. How do you perform family worship? And fourth, impression. Why should you do family worship? What are the benefits of family worship? So starting with our first point there, instruction. What is family worship? And if you're anything like me, I'd never heard of family worship before Christ Fellowship Bible Church. Sounds nice, but the thought of having a little worship service in your home daily, that seemed kind of awkward, right? That was not normal for me. But I came up in my study here just with a very simple definition of family worship. Family worship is the daily intentional worship of God led by the head of the household consisting of the reading of Scripture, prayer, and psalm. So again, family worship is the daily intentional worship of God led by the head of the household consisting of the reading of Scripture, prayer, and song. And I must tell you, it's very simple, and yet it's extremely profound. It's the spiritual education of our family in preparing them for eternity. The Westminster Directory of Worship states that family worship, which ought to be performed by every family, ordinarily morning and evening, consists in prayer, reading the scriptures, and singing praises. It's literally living out Deuteronomy 6. That should be in your hand out there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, the laws and statutes that the Lord has given us, are, they're here to show God's children how we're to live our daily lives, and how we should act towards one another, and how we should act towards God. And as plainly as we can see here in Deuteronomy 6, we need daily reminders to keep our hearts and lives focused on God. Think of how many reminders you and I have. We have our cell phones to remind us of stuff. If anybody uses Outlook, Outlook Task, I use, I use that every day. I got pop-ups all the time, maybe on your... Your iPad or um, your, your Mac computer, you have those sticky note reminders. We need reminders all the time. How much more important is it for us to be reminded of the things of God and the things of eternity? The spiritual teaching and education of our children has to take place in the home. Again, in Deuteronomy 6, if you look at that in your outline, look, look at the words there. You shall teach them diligently to your children, right? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The responsibility falls on us, specifically the head of the house, but for the parents in the household, and that also includes the grandparents. It was never the intention of God that the school and the church would educate your, your children spiritually. Never the intention. God's command was given to parents, but parents, we've disobeyed the command. And I use we as a society. We've disobeyed the command and the responsibility. And I think one of the major problems with the evangelical church today is our abrogation of this command. We've relied too much on Sunday schools or on youth groups. And, you know, we've just been, diso- we've been disobedient. And the reason for this disobedience really came out of convenience. It's very convenient to drop your child off for the youth pastor to teach him or drop little Susie off in Sunday school class. But what we're seeing is the effects in the lives of our children and families, lives that don't reflect the love for Jesus. Lives that don't honor Jesus and His commands. I mean, how many young people grow up and move out of the home and quote-unquote walk away from the faith? 
Now, who's to say they were ever in the faith? I might argue that they probably weren't in the faith. They were just living the double life because it pleased their parents at the time. And I have to ask, what do we expect if we take them to Vanity Fair and feed them cotton candy? They're not going to want the meat of the word, right? They can't handle the meat of the word. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Sunday school and church are fine supplements as long as you're in a solid biblical church. But they're no substitute for the parent's responsibility. We need to be committed to prepare them with an emotional and godly atmosphere in the home. So family worship is one of the most lasting and effective tools for training our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus and preparing them for eternity. So then we ask, why is family worship necessary? And there are many reasons, but I'll give you two quick ones. First and foremost, God expects it from us. It's a command from God, not specifically to do family worship, but that he ought to be worshipped. He deserves to be worshipped. And we saw that in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. It's explicit about that as well. He is our God, and he longs for an intimate relationship with each one of us. And then if we look in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And how do we do that? That doesn't happen on accident. That's not incidental, right? It's not a fluke. It's not sufficient to drop your children off twice a week at church and hope that the youth pastor can fulfill your God-given role. Consistent, father-led family worship is one of the best steadiest and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is Presbyterian, and the Second London Confession of 1689, which is Baptist, both say the same thing. They both say, God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself. So first off, why, why is family worship necessary? Because God expects it from us. But second, why is family worship necessary? Because the spiritual welfare of our loved ones. Because the spiritual welfare of our loved ones. We all know that we only have our kids in our house for 18, maybe 20 years. And that's going to go by fast. This is the only time that we have to secure their spiritual foundation. And there is an unmistakable link between the quality of the spiritual lives of our children and the spiritual teaching they received at home. I think of Solomon's words in Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So point number one, instruction. What family worship is, why we should do it, because God commands it, and because of the spiritual welfare of our loved ones. So now let's, point, let's go to point two here. Point two, inspiration. Inspiration. Where is family worship found? And we have biblical examples, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, as well as some examples throughout church history. So the Bible clearly implies that God deserves to be worshipped daily by our families. But like I said before, there's no direct command. You have to do family worship, and here's how to do it in the Bible. It's inferred, but there's no direct command. But I have to agree with Spurgeon when he said this. I trust there are none here present who profess to be followers of Christ, who do not also practice prayer in their families. And by prayer there, he means family worship. We may have no positive commandment for it, but we believe that it is so much in accord with the genius and spirit of the gospel and that it is so commended by the example of the saints that neglect thereof is a strange inconsistency. God deserved to be worshipped. And we see biblical evidence for this practice as far back as Genesis 18. And this is in your handout as well. God here is speaking of Abraham and he says in Genesis 18 verse 19, 
For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. And the only way Abraham could have commanded his children to keep the way of the Lord is to teach the way of the Lord at home. So obviously he was doing family worship, and we all know the story about him and Isaac in Genesis 22, right? He's going to go take Isaac up to the mountain. He's going to sacrifice Isaac uh, as the Lord commanded him to. And we're going up there, and what happens in Genesis 22:7? Isaac's like, hey, hey, Dad, we got the fire. We got the wood. I don't, I don't see a sacrifice, right? Well, how would Isaac have been familiar with those things? Because he's been taught in family worship through Abraham. And we know the rest of the story and how God intervened and what a beautiful Beautiful example that is. But Isaac had been long familiar with the sacrifices in the worship of God. So Abraham's a good example. Another one would be Job. Job in uh, Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, his children, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Well, I'm sure his kids knew what he was doing, and I'm sure they knew why he was doing it. So Job, again, teaching his children the ways of the Lord. We also know that in the Old Testament, the father of every household was to lead their family with the Passover meal and instruct the children what was the significance of that. Why do we do that? Why do we have a lamb in here for a few days, and then why do we kill it and do all these special things, right? They had to teach their children the ways of the Lord. And maybe the most well-known example in the Old Testament would be Joshua. So turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. And as you turn in there, one thing I have the honor and privilege of teaching our young ones in the catechism class. And the most important thing I say, when we turn and open the Bible, we start reading Bible verses, what's the most important thing we have to consider? And they all yell, context! Exactly, we've got to look at the context, we have to know what's going on. And you guys know Joshua led them uh, into the promised land, conquered right after Moses had passed away. And in verse 1 of of chapter 24, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And he recounts everything the Lord has done for the people of Israel up until this point. And so now we're going to dive in here in Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Follow along with me in your copy of God's word here. Now therefore, this is Joshua speaking. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now there's a few things we can derive from this text here in Joshua. First and foremost, Joshua did not make worship or service to the living God optional. There's no gray area here. Right? He was very clear. And he commands them to fear the Lord. To worship Him and serve Him voluntarily and deliberately. And we're still commanded to do that today. And, and, and secondly, Joshua enforces the service of God in families with his own example. Then to verse 15, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I bet the people there saw it because if you skip down to verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua... In all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So realize Joshua is more than 100 years old at this point. And he's a bold man with vigor. And and he had the example that at least for the next generation, we know what happened in, in Judges after that. But at least for the next generation, they were devoted to the Lord. So application for us, 
It's an encouragement to God-fearing parents and grandparents to know that the worship they set up in the home may last generations after them. And then again in verse 15, you can see there's a repeated word many times. The word is serve. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose you land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now many times in Scripture, that same Hebrew word is translated as worship. We are called to worship the Lord. This is a call for all saints to worship God because He is worth it. And something that makes me sick to my stomach is we'll see the little wood placard of, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Completely taken out of context, and there's no serving of the Lord in that house. It just looks cute, and we put it on the wall. No, this is a command from the Lord that He is worthy, and we should be worshiping Him on a daily basis with our families. So, in addition to all the Old Testament examples, we have New Testament examples. Think of, think of Timothy. The affirmation and importance of faith, of worship within his family. Think of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice from 2 Timothy 1.5. And how Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings, obviously, scripture from childhood. So, obviously, a lasting impact starting three generations of grandma to mom to Timothy in his family. And we could also think of Cornelius in Acts 10. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. So we've got biblical examples in the Old Testament and New Testament, but we also have historical examples through church history. Jonathan Edwards said, Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. And part of the life of that little church would include family worship. And many of our favorite Puritans, they were diligent to lead their families religiously multiple times a day in family worship. And they took this so seriously that back in 1647... The Westminster Assembly produced an entire publication devoted exclusively to the subject of family worship called the Directory for Family Worship. Pretty obvious what that's about. But in one portion, listen to what they write here. It's speaking of the head of the household, the father. He is to be gravely and sadly reproved by the session, the elders, after which reproof, if he be found still to neglect family worship, let him be, for his obstinacy, in such an offense, suspended and debarred from the Lord's Supper, as being justly esteemed unworthy to communicate therein till he amend his ways. They barred guys from communion, from the Lord's Supper, if they weren't consistently leading their families in family worship. That's how seriously they took this command. And, and Paul argues in 1 Timothy 5 that if one doesn't provide for his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. Well, how much more so, not just financially or physically, um, but not to provide for the spiritual welfare of those in your family. One Puritan has been known to say, Family worship is an act of devotion in which the father's affection and duty to his house are particularly brought before his mind, and in which he stands in the place and pleads the cause of all that he holds dearest upon earth. We need to bring all that we hold dearest upon earth before the throne of God in the same manner. So we have many examples provided through Scripture in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, church history, to inspire us to excel still more in the practice of family worship. So we have, first, instruction. What is family worship? Second, inspiration. Where is it found? And third, implementation. How do you do family worship? So, as you've heard already, the essential elements of family worship are three things. Singing, reading, and teaching, and prayer. And if you want a nice alliteration, somebody came up with this, I did not. The three S's of family worship. Scripture, supplication, and song. 
Scripture, supplication, and song. And I think Colossians 3.16 sums it up very nicely. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And to quote George Whitfield, he's got a great quote on this. He says, Every head of the family must look upon himself as obliged to act in three capacities. As a prophet, to instruct. As a priest, to pray for and with. And as a king, to govern, direct, and provide for them. It is true that the latter of these, their kingly office, is one in which they are not so frequently deficient in. No, in this they are usually too attentive. But as for the former two, their priestly and prophetic office, they often ignore such things. That could have been written today. But may it not be so with us, brothers and sisters. Though the priesthood in the proper sense has been fulfilled in our great high priest, there's still something like a priestly intervention in the service of the Christian father. He's now about to go before the little flock of his house and offering a spiritual sacrifice of prayer and adoration to God. So all heads of family must ensure that they not only serve the Lord themselves, but also see to it that their respective households do too. And no man can approach this duty of leading his household in a single act of devotion without solemnly reflecting on the place in which he occupies. He is the head over them. He has responsibility over them. And he is accountable for them. Because all the members of his family, there's not one for whom he will not give account at the judgment seat of Christ. So we need to show our families a balance of hope and awe, fear and faith, repentance and confidence all through family worship. Richard Cecil said, let family worship be short, savory, simple, tender, and heavenly. Nailed it. But I would add, let it be consistent. I love, there's one little girl that asks her father every morning, Daddy, what are we going to do today besides family worship? She knows. Family worship's happening. It's a beautiful thing. So the three elements, let's talk through those. So the first one's singing. First element of family worship is to sing. We need to daily sing praises to our great God. Like the psalmist in Psalm 66, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. But don't just sing any old songs. We don't want any Jesus is my boyfriend music. We don't need nine, you know, Joy FM sung. We need doctrinally pure songs. Singing promotes devotion as it warms the heart. And sing heartily and with feeling. Make it fun. Bring instruments into it. Maybe you have a little toddler and he's got his little play school xylophone piano. Bring that sucker in. We have our older boys play the cello. Sometimes we'll have the girls play the piano. Um, but we get the whole family involved, and I would encourage you to do that, because singing should be joyful. You ever seen little kids sing? Can they sing on pitch? No. Does it matter? No. It's a beautiful thing. It's a joyful noise. And we're called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Right? Psalm 98. So singing serves as spiritual enlightenment and instruction, and the Holy Spirit can use it to lead us and to protect us. And we can use it to memorize Scripture. We can use it to memorize the attributes of God. Kids especially, they cling to words in a song. You can put it in song, it's in the memory. So use singing in your family worship and make it fun. Enjoy it. So that's the first one, singing. The second one is reading and teaching. So we should lead our family in daily instruction of the Word of God, like we saw in Deuteronomy 6 and 11, Ephesians 6. One scholar explains that the Father has opened God's Word in the presence of His little flock. He thus admits himself to be its teacher and under-shepherd for the time he sits in Moses' seat. The Word of God must be the focal point 
of all spiritual teaching. And our motive should be to help our family members develop an abiding, abiding and lasting love for the Word of God. So I would, I would encourage you, prepare beforehand, know what you're going to go through. Uh, maybe you're going to go through a book of the Bible. Maybe you're going to do some sort of topical study on wisdom or laziness. Or you're going to go through a life of a certain saint like Daniel or Ezekiel or Paul or Abraham. Currently in our study for family worship, we're going through the book of Luke, which has been great. But most importantly, as J.C. Ryle summed up nicely, he says, Fill their minds with Scripture. Let the Word dwell in them richly. Give them the Bible, the whole Bible, even while they are young. And as you go through the whole Bible throughout family worship, if you have 18 to 22 years with the children, you should be able to get through the whole Bible. And guess what's in the whole Bible? The whole Bible. Everything is in the Bible. Think about it. All the good things, the victories, and all the bad things. You have rape, adultery, murder, right? Everything. It's going to expose your children to everything, and you get to decide when is the right time for them to know about these things, and how am I going to teach it to them, right? So use those first 18 to 20 years in such a powerful way to give them the Bible and have them to look at all those things from God's perspective rather than the world's perspective. So a few suggestions when you instruct your family when you're doing family worship. So give simple, understandable explanations. Explain what you're reading, especially when you have young children. Ask them a question or two to make sure they're understanding what you're saying. And ask older children how can they apply these truths to their lives. Be sound in your theology. Don't abandon doctrinal precision, especially when teaching younger children. You can be simple and yet stay sound in your theology. Be gentle and yet convincing. Get everyone's attention. We, we try to stick to a hard and fast rule that wherever your bottom is when we start family worship, that's where your bottom stays when we end family worship. We don't need to be getting up. We don't need to be screwing around. So we, it's the, the balance between having a solid structure, because this is serious, we're coming before the Lord, and yet not being too rigid and legalistic to where no one likes it. You have to have that balance. But you want to get everybody's attention. It's not a time to preach. You are teaching from the Word, but you don't need a 30 or 45 minute sermon. You're there to teach them and move along. But read the Bible and read it enthusiastically and enjoy it. I think, I think especially with kids, it's really fun to act out the Bible. Uh, I've been slain as the giant Goliath. I've been the lowly colt um, <laughs> walking uh, on the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. And uh, we, we've had little tables filled with coins that have been flipped over many times because everybody wants to turn being Jesus. But make it fun and make it memorable. Because these are the things that the kids are going to remember. This, this consistent family worship. And then another very useful tool I would recommend in uh, family worship is using the catechism. CFPC has an amazing catechism, very short, question and answer format. And as helpful as it is for the kids, it's helpful for you and me as well. It really is. So use that because an age, a good age-appropriate catechism is just as valuable for learning the Bible as memorizing multiplication tables is for learning mathematics. It's just as essential. So we've got singing, we've got reading and teaching of the Word of God, and then finally the third element is we have prayer. James W. Alexander said, Fly at once with your household to the throne of grace. We have to pour our hearts out before God before He can shower us with His blessings. So how do we do it? Well, all families must call upon God's name or else subject themselves to the displeasure of God. Jeremiah 10.25 speaks to that. Thomas Brooks says, A family without prayer is like a house without a roof. 
open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. We want roofs. So pray. But I would recommend be short in prayer. Tedious prayers do more harm than they do good. The quality of prayer is way more important than the length of the prayer. And remember to give thanks for answered prayers. A lot of times we can ask God for a lot of things and we don't, we don't stop to think and thank Him for the, the prayers that He has answered. So when we sit during family worship on the couch with our family, I find it helpful to remind them some biblical truths as we go through family worship. I ask them simple questions. First question, who is family worship about? The answer is God. That helps when some of us are having harder times, when maybe we didn't get to sing the song that we wanted to sing, or maybe we just don't want to do family worship that day. The rebuttal is family worship is not about you. It's about God. So priority number one, who's family worship about? It's about God. Another great question, and this is from our catechism, is what is prayer? Prayer is talking with God. And then I follow that up with where do we go when we pray? Where do we go when we pray? We go to the throne room of God. And how do you act before a king? Right? And you give him this picture of this nice throne room and the king. Because that's what we're doing. We go to, to the Lord in prayer. We're going to the throne room of God. And we need to act reverently and respectfully. So we sit still. We don't touch one another. We're quiet. Right? Because we have to have a reverence when you're going before the, the Holy of Holies. Right? You're going before the Lord Almighty. And again, you don't want to be legalistic about this. But you have to ingrain in your children's hearts and minds that this is a big deal. We have access to the creator of all things in prayer. And we need to take that seriously. So when you're praying, encourage, encourage your families and things to pray for. Every family has been partakers of some common blessings. We need to give thanks. We also have some common crosses and afflictions going on in our lives that we need to pray against. And then we have some sins that we commit. And we need to grieve and, and confess those sins. And family worship is a great place to do all that. So we need to come together in one common act of humiliation, prayer, and thanksgiving. And there's no better way to do that as a family through consistent family worship. So the three elements. We have singing, we have the reading of the word and teaching, and we have prayer. This quote's in your handout by Matthew Henry. He says, They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and sing do best of all. So number one, instruction. What is family worship? Number two, inspiration. Where is it found? Number three, implementation. How do you do it? Now number four, and finally, impression. Why should you do family worship? What are the benefits of family worship? Well, families who consistently worship God daily in a solemn and affectionate service are blessed with the increase of piety and happiness. It's like the psalmist said, do you you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? Praise the Lord. J.W. Alexander, again, I love this guy. He's been instrumental in in this as I've studied this. He says, establish the word of God in any house and you erect around it a new barrier against the eruption of the world, the flesh, and the devil. How beautiful is that? If we want to ensure that our descendants truly love and honor God, then as heads of the households and parents and grandparents, we must seed Solomon's good advice to train and teach our households in the way they should go so that they don't depart from it. So I'm going to give you some motivations for family worship. The eternal welfare of your loved ones is on the line. God uses means to save souls. Amen? And the most common way? Preaching of the Word of God. But He can also use family worship. There's a connection between family worship and the salvation of souls. 
And the, the thought of children spending eternity in hell, it's overwhelming to any parent and grandparent. But imagine also facing eternity, confessing that we have not seriously labored for the souls of our children. Family worship is not just another activity on the calendar. It is entering the Holy of Holies as we plead for the Lord to save our children and grandchildren. So remember that every family worship, you're ushering your children into the very presence of God Most High. You you seek grace to bring down the benediction of the Almighty God upon your household. And there is a weightiness in this endeavor, and it should not be taken lightly. So, the eternal welfare of the souls of your loved ones is on the line. But secondly, the satisfaction of a good conscience. For every house is like a little congregation, every family head is like a priest, every family a flock, and if any of them perish through the neglect of the head of the family, then God will require the blood at his hands. J.C. Rowell said, I charge you, fathers, take every pain to train your children in the way they should go. I charge you not merely for the sake of your children's souls, although that's extremely important. I charge you for the sake of your own future comfort and peace. Truly, your own happiness in great measure depends on it. Children have caused the saddest tears that man has ever had to shed. We need to be able to tell our children, your conscience will bear witness that Christ is the center of this home. And you need to come to your senses before it's too late. So the satisfaction of a good conscience. Another reason, assistance in child rearing. Family worship is the foundation of biblical child rearing. Strong bonds are established in family worship in the early years that can be of great help when they become teenagers. In times of temptation, they may say, how can I offend a father who daily wrestles with God on my behalf? Or how can I offend a mother who prays for my salvation every day? That's the example of Charles Charles Spurgeon. He said his mother's prayers gripped his heart and kept him from continuing in sin. This is what he said. He said, the very thought that my mother's prayers would serve as witness against me in the day of judgment sent terror into my heart. Never neglect the power of prayer, especially a mom praying for her children. Family worship promotes harmony and unity in the family, particularly when the, re- uh, the, rele- excuse me, the relevance of Scripture is highlighted on a daily basis, even in times of illness, sadness, pain, temptation, persecution. Spiritual lessons are the basis of strength and comfort within the family. It's the rock on which we stand. And as a family, we discuss these aspects and, we, and you pray together about them. And you create this unity and this feeling of togetherness. And everybody in the family, especially the children, they're enabled to evaluate and handle these aspects of light in light of the Word of God. Thus, family worship serves as a buffer for the family and facing the onslaughts of life. It prepares children for their future when their lives are coming and the world is coming at them. And always the world coming at them. It's coming at them hard. And if now you can set up barriers for your children to be expectant for the onslaught that's going to be coming their way, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we take 10 to 15 minutes out of every day to do that for our children? Another reason, the shortness of time. We all know this. Life is a vapor. We ought to conduct family worship and the awareness of how brief life is in comparison to never-ending eternity. I don't have time to develop these, but I'm just going to give you a few of the spiritual benefits of family worship in rapid fire here. But family worship increases God's delight in you. Family worship increases your nearness to God. Family worship brings spiritual blessings to your family that we've already talked about. 
Family worship increases your family's knowledge of God. Family worship helps your family benefit from public worship. There's a lot of training we do in family worship over 10 or 15 minutes that translates into here when we're here for an hour and a half with little, little bodies in the pews, right? Family worship enables your family to fulfill all other duties. And family worship strengthens your spiritual leadership. In summary, in summary, regular family worship will make your home a more blessed place to live. And who doesn't want that? Now, it's no guarantee that you will not have strife, you will not have persecution, that your kids will be believers. We know that. But as parents and grandparents, we're commanded to obey God and obey His commands. And God does bless that. He does bless that. So what if your children are grown? What if your children are out of the home? Is it, is it too late to do anything? Well, let me recommend a few things, and some of these I'm sure you're already doing. Pray for them. Pray for your kids. You cannot, you cannot out-pray God. Confess your sin to God, any sins, past sins, present sins, but also confess them to your children. There is an intense humility in confessing your, your sins to your children, but there's an intense impact it has on them as well. Speak to and pray with your grandchildren, if God's blessed you with them. Do for them what you weren't able to do with your children. Begin family worship with your spouse. Don't be discouraged. God is sovereign. He knows. Trust Him. But you can beg the Lord to bless your feeble efforts and to save your children and your grandchildren because He doesn't delight in the perishing of the wicked. So I must address quickly some of the objections to family worship because as humans, we have a lot of objections to do for things that we don't want to do, don't we? We can come up with lots of excuses like, one, our family doesn't have time for this. And we live in a busy culture, right? We've got sports, we've got school, we've got business, we've got activities. And not all those things are bad. But time taken from family activity and work to seek God's blessing is never wasted. And what kind of precedent, I would ask you, are you setting for your children when you prioritize other things over family worship? What message are you sending to your children? And Samuel Davies, he addresses this objection head on. He says, were you formed for this world only? There would be some force in this objection, but how strange does such an objection sound coming from an heir of eternity? Pray, what is your time given to you for? Is it not principally that you may prepare for eternity? And have you no time for what is the greatest business of your lives? When you put it like that, I think we've got some time for family worship. So that's not a good objection. What about there's no regular time when all of us can be together? We have conflicting schedules. Some people are gone in the morning. Some people are gone in the afternoon. I would encourage you that family worship should be a non-negotiable event. Work, hobbies, school, sports, all those things come secondarily to family worship. And again, you set the precedent as the head of the household. What if our family's too small? Well, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. You only need two. I'm not good at leading our family in worship, and I, I'm not qualified. Now, this, is, this one hit me because I've, I had this objection early on. Uh, I struggled with this one. I, I don't know the Bible that well. I don't feel qualified to lead. Uh, my, my wife knows more about the Bible than I do. Well, when your heart is in the right place, you know what? God will bless your efforts. And he, he doesn't expect perfection, right? He expects obedience. 
So could it be that our real problem is not our inability to pray, read, and instruct, so much as it is our lack of grasping the astounding promises and power God has given us to shape our families for His glory? I think we're looking too much here at ourselves, and we need to be looking more up there to Him, right? So that's not a good objection. Well, what if some of our family members won't participate? Well, your children may or may not be enthusiastic about family worship, but that doesn't really matter. The less interested they are just proves the more that you need family worship at home. And if you have difficult children, uh, you can follow a simple rule. No, no scripture, no singing, no praying, no food. These are the rules of this house. And if you're not going to obey what we're, what we're about, then you don't need to live here. And that's hard. But you know what? How many, how many times did Adam and Eve get from God to get it right? Did they bite into the fruit a few times? And God said, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. Let's just try again. One time. They disobeyed one time. Right? So as much as this seems harsh, we're after the souls of our children. And that's way more important than them feeling comfortable. And not to mention Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Not some things. Not if you feel like it. Let everything. So we can come up with all the excuses as to why we don't do family worship, can't do family worship. But none of them stand. None of them stand or will they stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So we need to view family worship like my boy James Alexander again quoting him. He says, Family worship is the manna that keeps our souls alive, just as the manna that fell in front of the Israelites' tents in the desert kept them alive. What a beautiful picture. So I want to encourage you today, family worship needs to be a consistent event in your household. And if you haven't been doing it, guess what? You can start today. You can confess your sins to the Lord. You can change your ways and you can get into it. And guess what? The first time you do, is it going to be awkward? Probably. It's awkward for me. Is singing with your wife or your kids going to be awkward? Maybe. Or it's going to be really fun, but there's only one way to find out. But I would encourage you, we need to obey the commands of Scripture. We need to obey God and get over any of these objections that we have in our own hearts because they will not stand. And who deserves to be worshipped but God? I tell my kids all the time, I say, we can take 10 to 15 minutes out of every day because He gives us 24 hours a day to live. We can give Him 15 minutes a day to worship Him. That's the least we can do, right? We are not Sunday Christians. We are Christians. We are lovers of Christ. We will follow Him every day. So in conclusion, I have a story for you. Rick Husband was the commander of the space shuttle, space shuttle, Columbia. He was to lead his team of seven astronauts into space to conduct various experiments that required microgravity environments. See, I'm not smart enough to be an astronaut because I can't even say these things. A microgravity environment. In his resolve to be a godly leader to his wife Evelyn and to his two children... He decided that while he was going to go out in orbit, he was going to make videos for his children. So each day that he was going to be in orbit, he was going to make a daily devotional, one for his daughter and one for his son, that they could watch um, so that they'd be, he would know that they, they would know he was thinking about them every day. So at the beginning of the first videotape, he left for his seven-year-old son, little Matthew. This is what he said. Quote, Hi, Matthew. I wanted to tell you how much I love you. And I wanted to make this tape for you so that you and I could have a devotional time for every day that I'm in space. So what I'm doing 
is looking at your devotional book, and I'm starting on the 16th of January, which is our launch day. And what I will do is read through this book and read the Bible verse also, and go through the whole thing just like you and I are sitting here on the couch together. I just want to do this because I love you so much, and I'm going to do one for your sister as well. So Rick recorded 18 devotions for both of his children, one for each day, and they would watch it every day that he was out in orbit. Well, on February 1st, 2003, unfortunately, tragedy struck. On the voyage home, within minutes from its landing spot in Florida, the space shuttle, man, the space shuttle Columbia broke apart and disintegrated over Texas, killing all seven astronauts, including Commander Rick Husband. He never made home to be with his wife and kids. He never had another opportunity to lead them in family worship. But think with me, how precious do you think those 18 videos are for his family even today? What kind of impact do you think those videos had on his children? Rick Husband made it clear that family worship was a non-negotiable event. May you and I pursue that same goal with the same passion and intensity that he had. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word that we are called to worship you. You are worthy. And the fact that we have the blessing and the ability to come before you and to worship you, we should take advantage of it every day. Father, thank you for the example of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. We thank you for your word and how you instruct us in daily living. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would institute this into our daily lives. Father, that we would get rid of any objections that we have. That we would excel still more in our desire for you, our desire to worship you, and our desire to lead our families. And Father, would you give us your grace? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us the time? Lord, we, we strive to worship you. Would you give us that ability? I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here. Lord, thank you for using a weak vessel like me to proclaim your truths. It's in your name we pray. Amen.